You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast. We read them so you don't have to, because what else are we going to do while we wait for our phones to finish updating? My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Benedict, the sharpest butter knife in the drawer. (laughs) Benedict, what's your order at the Chinese restaurant? Ooh, didn't we do this one? I feel like maybe, oh, I did Uh, did something. I feel like maybe I've asked you something. I asked you what your sushi was. No, Kevin, come on. I know the difference between Chinese and Japanese food. (laughs) I, I think what I'm I think what I'm thinking of is you asked me what like my go to takeout was and I gave it yeah, Chinese yeah, yeah. food or something I think that's like that. What it was. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna but say we're the at same a Chinese thing. restaurant now. We're just at a okay. Chinese restaurant. Explicitly you're Chinese. ordering your your dish, right? The, yeah. You know, if if you're eating family style, you and your wife are there, maybe you both order your your thing that you like okay. and you share. But what's the one that you go for? Okay. Um, well, I, I mean, as I've discussed previously, I'm a huge fan of shrimp toast or prawn God. toast, as it's as it's as it's called. It just sounds so disgusting it's to so me. It's so good. It's like a shrimp. It's a shrimp patty on like fried bread, fried in oil with like sesame seeds on it. Bread so fried good. in oil. Like, is the bread battered or the bread no, is just no, dropped just fried into bread. oil? Fried bread. Just 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 bread yeah, like soaked sh- in oil. Sh- shallow fried in <laughs> in oil. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, so you like you enjoy the taste of oil. Yeah, I get it. We Kevin, all like that. Yes. <laughs> so do you. Don't lie. Yeah, that's, true. <laughs> that's true. I know myself. Oil tastes good. That's why we cook yep. everything in oil. Yep. And they say don't have too much oil because people always want oil because it tastes delicious. Yes, it does. I can't deny. Anyway, so that and then probably either like... It depends what mood I'm in. If I'm going chicken, I would go like a general general so's chicken, mm-hmm. um, which I know is not a real Chinese dish, but blah blah. Yeah, blah, blah, but blah. we're talking. You're in an American Chinese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or if I'm going beef, I'm going like tangerine beef. Ooh, very good, very yeah. good. Like that tang to it. Yeah, a little, a little acid. Yeah, yeah. What about you? I usually go for and and just like your answer, I will go for the orange chicken mm. because I gotta say, people will say it's not real Chinese food, but I'll tell you what, fucking Panda Express fucking nailed it. <laughs> they fucking nailed it with that recipe. They just got it on point. Orange chicken is probably one of the most delicious things on the face of the earth. Yeah, that's not wrong. Uh, but also, one of my favorites is is like kung pao chicken, right? Which is a dish I've actually had in China, or at least what we turned into what we call a Kung Pao chicken here in the Mm. United States, which is just like chicken with peanuts and a shitload of these tiny little spicy red peppers. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah. It just burns your mouth, but you just, you're crying and you're eating. You're like, oh my God, it tastes so good. Why are my eyes so red? That sort of heat that hurts so good, Mm, as Bob Seger would tell us, right? (laughs) That's what I'm into. I want it to hurt so good. But anyways. Fair enough. 
Bad Alexis, you probably know. Do you know? Are you aware of what, what? we do here on this oh, show? Oh, yeah, no. Uh, you know we, what we do? We, we read stuff. We read yeah, stuff. We read bad stuff. I thought, we read yeah, bad we, stuff. we read bad stuff. We read yeah. bad stuff. But yeah. as, as, I, as I often like to term it, we dig down. Oh, deep, deep. down. Deep, deep, deep down. Deep How down. deep do we dig down? Oh, pretty deep. I would say to the, you know, like you, you have like a barrel and then like if you like. Oh, are, lean... are you taking, are you taking my gimmick? Go no, ahead. No, Run no, away no, with, no, no. It, Run but, away with my gimmick but, if you're going to try and kick it, it. If you lean like fully, you know, like a, a waist height barrel, let's say. And uh-huh. we, you lean fully into the barrel, but you can't quite reach the bottom and you end up just falling in like head first <laughs> and just slowly drown in the one inch of sludge that's at the bottom of the barrel. The that's, one inch of sludge of right wing. That's thought. what this podcast <laughs> the bottom is. Of the barrel. <laughs> just gargling on sludge. That's it. I'm going to stick with that one. I'm not even going to try and redo it. I'm going to leave that uh, and save what I had for I next week. I feel like week. that was a pretty good on the fly one. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. You're learning how to improvise slowly, but that's what we do here. Of course, on this show, Benedict, uh, of course, this episode is coming out a little late. It is mm. uh, Wednesday evening as we're recording. It is. Uh, because over the weekend, as most of our listeners know, and as I've I've said many times, I graduated from law oh, school. Oh, wow. Look at you. So my parents came to visit. My little brother came to visit. And, you know, there was a little ceremony and stuff. And, uh, of course, since I live in a tourist town of D.C., when anyone comes to visit... You are contractually obligated, as Glenn Beck would say, mm. uh, to show them every single monument and memorial in the entire city. Every monument to freedom and liberty. Is yes. What you're telling me. Yes. Okay. And so it was just, you know, taking them out at like nine in the morning and mm. stay at, and all they, you know, they'd want to go to dinner every night and then we'd do that and I'd get home at like 11 o'clock. So we didn't have time to record over the weekend. Uh, Can we I ask you how many times it, you but... took them through the FDR monument? Uh, actually twice well oh, really? i took my mom once because she wanted to rent uh you know the city bikes they're oh, all right. around she wanted to rent one of those not the scooters i know you love the scooters actually we did do the scooters <laughs> once uh I, I don't mind the scooters i don't really mind them that much but uh we did both and so i took my mom to the fdr memorial and then uh the later, fdr one uh, is very tranquil it's one of my favorite parts of yeah, dc actually yeah. And then later when I was hanging out with my little brother, uh, my mom and my dad went back there because my dad hadn't seen the FDR okay. memorial or the uh, MLK memorial. They hadn't I didn't seen think either. your parents would be into going to the FDR memorial. But well, I, I wasn't there for whatever my dad had to say, but I'm sure it was just him growling, goddamn socialist, under his <laughs> breath the entire time he was walking through it. So anyways, Benedict, why don't we, you know, we're sorry that we're late, but mm. we have an excuse this time. And this time, for once, it's on me, not Benedict. Yeah, look uh, at that. But Benedict, you start us off. Do you have a hot take for us Yeah, you week? kind of stole my thunder because my, my hot take this week is to congratulate Dr. Mr. Oh. Kevin on his... Dr. Mr. Kevin. On his... <laughs> juris doctor. You have juris, to specify juris, juris doctor, Mr. Kevin. Juris doctor, Mr. <laughs> Kevin. Coming soon to a court near you. Hopefully, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, inshallah. Um... On what is a fantastic achievement of, you know, law school is no mean feat, especially a a law school as prestigious as the one that you attend. So I am my hot take is to say how proud I am of you for for finishing this journey. Don't interrupt me. Let me talk. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy for me to be sentimental. I'm breaking my character as a mean bastard. Just let me go. Um, Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful to watch you thrive at law school and stress out but get through it and and i am incredibly proud 
of you for achieving it. So congratulations and well done. And I will never be this nice to you again. Well, I'm sure that all sounded wonderful, uh, but your audio just cut out for me for about the last <laughs> 10 to 15 seconds. Well, you of know that. what? You can listen to it again so when I'm you sure edit it. So I'm sure it'll sound great uh, on the edit when I do yeah. it. So why don't we try and fix our audio real quick first? Yep. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? There we go. Got it back. All right. Cool. Anyway, congratulations. Thank you very much. What's your hot take? Thanks for asking the fucking question. No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it was, we were on a delay, obviously. <laughs> uh, well, Benedict, your, your answer and something you said leads very nicely uh, mm. into my hot take for this week, which is um, law school's not as hard as you all think it is. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's look. It's a lot of hours, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of studying, it's a lot of work. But looking, and, and I'm probably, it's like the benefit of hindsight, looking back and being like, maybe not remembering how tough it was at first, my first year of law school. Because you are getting used to an entirely new way of thought and of studying and all that stuff. But honestly, looking back now, I'm like, I could do that for another three years. I, I, I can survive yeah, through that for another I, I three think, years. I think I think that's often the case whenever you achieve anything, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like oh, you always belittle one. One always belittles one's own achievements and mm -hmm. and and says, "This is a continuation of my hot take of not don't do yourself down so much. <laughs> it's a great achievement. Congratulations." Well, also, I had a conversation with some of my law school friends over the weekend when we were doing all our graduation stuff, where we were half jokingly saying, "You know." All of us do this, right? We we play up law school like it's harder than it actually is to get the sympathy of our friends and relatives. Yeah, but everyone in the fucking <laughs> Ivy League does that. Everyone that goes to Oxbridge does that. It's like, oh, it's so difficult. Like, is it though? I mean, it is, but is it? It is, but we we need the pity points. Yeah, we need exactly. the pity points is exactly. what we really need. Exactly. But anyways, I'm really excited to be done with law school and off on the next step of this journey. Uh, really excited that uh, the listeners will be going with us as well. So, Benedict, do you have something on your bookshelf? That's not how I normally say that. No, Benedict, no, okay. what's on your bookshelf this week? Oh, my bookshelf this week is The Gospel According to Jesus Christ by José Saramago, who uh, is a Portuguese not a, communist. Not, a, not by Nobel Jesus laureate. Christ? No, funnily enough. Oh, okay. Funnily enough, no, he's a, he's a Portuguese Nobel laureate who was, a, I think, a, either a member of the Communist Party or an avowed communist uh, who was persecuted by the Salazar regi regime, uh, who is a good friend of our, our pal Francisco Franco, who is dead. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a reimagining of the Jesus story written by, from like a, someone who's very knowledgeable about kind of Catholic law um and uh, you know a subversion of the the jesus story which is super interesting it's subverting not, the genre man it, it's a little blasphemous but it's not like <laughs> it's not needlessly blasphemous like it's Look, an my interesting friend, approach allow to me it. to introduce you to the preacher comic books mm. which are in, in, incredibly blasphemous <laughs> mm. which i find to be a much funner retelling of uh christian mythology sure Sure. Anyway, it's a. It's just an. I, I recommend any Saramago. It's. Uh, he's. He's a very interesting writer and thinker. So. Fantastic. That's me. What about you? On my bookshelf this week is something that ties in actually to this show. It is the world of the John Birch Society by mm. D. J. Malloy. Uh, this is a book I picked up because obviously we're doing the John Birch investigation, uh, and usually you know I, I like to pick up a, a decent book if I can find one about the subject. Did we're you send me a about. Glenn Beck book, by the way? 
I did. Did it okay. arrive? Yeah, it did. <laughs> okay. I, I was like, I can only assume this is Kevin. I sent it, and and then you told me you were extending your stay at your in-laws, mm. and then you extended that stay even longer. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized it was arriving while you were gone. Yeah, like you'd, okay. you'd see, either you'd see it when you got back, or you wouldn't. Uh, but yes, Common Nonsense by Alexander Zaitchik, which I I love that book. I think he wrote it so incredibly well, so that almost every line is. Uh, describing an aspect of Glenn Beck's life and also is a backhanded slap to him. I love that sort of writing. Uh, but uh, the world of the John Birch Society is much more academic, and it's a look into the John Birch Society. It's one I've had on back order for a little while because it wasn't available. But now that it's here, uh, I'm, I'm started reading through it and learning more about the John Birch Society, so hopefully I can contribute that knowledge to our uh, investigation of the John Birch Society. And I am, as I've said so many times, I remain fascinated by the John Birch Society. I never will not be. I love this organization, and I'm so excited to get through this book. So check it out if you're a weirdo like me and are also interested in this stuff we talk about on this show. But you wouldn't be listening if you weren't. So anyways, housekeeping, rate and review us on iTunes. Remember to follow us on the social medias. And of course, you can go become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. That's all that out of the way. Benedict, we return to our book review of Arguing with Socialists by Glenn Beck, Uncle Ben's Racist Uncle. Benedict, (laughs) what do we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read the second half of chapter five in which Glenn Beck gets literally everything possible wrong about my home country. And I have never written more notes about a single half chapter than this I one. really had the thought when I was reading the second half of this chapter, maybe this is the one that, that finally makes Benedict commit seppuku by t-shirt gun <laughs> just i saw your mind exploding uh, as i was reading this chapter just imagine go bam ah didn't work fuck <laughs> maybe two t-shirts bam oh, God well this is the good one because it's like it's one of those ones where i can get angry without having to do too much research because oh, oh. i already know about it so he hits on all the things you love the postal service love amtrak it. the nhs <laughs> he's just going down the list of shit just that's right how in your can bugaboo. i piss ben off Yes, that's basically what was on his list. So we also noticed, um, I noticed anyways when I did the edit, that we forgot to do the cartoon at the beginning of this chapter when we did the first half of chapter five. So, can I do it? Can I do it? Why don't you describe to us? I will. Okay, so it's it's an eight panel comic, right? And it it opens with what I can only describe as a very leery man looking over at a, uh, I'd I'd describe them as a shapely pair of calves. And he's he's holding a beer. Of course, because he's a real man. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to fuck those calves later. Yeah, exactly. Precisely the calves. So then he walks up to this, this person who turns out to be a, a leggy blonde with a very uh, Scandinavian look, let's say. So, yeah, he's got like that stereotypical like braided front hair thingy from that movie yeah. that you've never seen, Mids- but I keep Mids- referencing. Midsummer, yes. yeah, yes, whatever. that thing. <laughs> yeah, so that. Um, and so he goes over to this person and he assumes that this person is Scandinavian, right? Mm-hmm. Just by the look, which, you know, if we're going on looks, fair enough. But whatever. Okay, so then... Uh, could he, be German. Could be German. Could, you I, never I, know. I think it's, she, this person has quite a, a, a Milwaukee German look about them. But that's... <laughs> whatever. Whatever. The Pennsylvania Deutsch look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A, little, a little Amish. Um, yeah. So he introduces himself as Ken, which I'm mm-hmm. not sure if that's supposed to represent I think it's anybody? supposed to be a Ken and Barbie thing, maybe, uh, that he's going okay. for. I'm not sure. Okay, and the person he's talking to introduces themselves as, as utopia 
okay? So that's that's where we get to from here. And immediately he suggests getting out of here. You know, he's he's a, a horny Ken uh, who mm-hmm. who has mm-hmm. has downed most of his beer and now is ready to uh, to to seal the deal, as it were. And Utopia responds that uh, no, silly. I'm waiting for marriage, worry-free, totally equal, marital bliss. So then it shows them getting married. He's saying, I do. Utopia says nothing. So, <laughs> As a woman should. As a woman should, in not, God's mind. <laughs> not completely clear. Um, and then cut to what I presume is a hotel room, because it doesn't look like a house. Yeah, where, where, well, it shows them walking through the door. Of well, the not really. And he is, it shows, well, he's, it shows he's him banging, U- banging Utopia's <laughs> yes. head on the doorframe. Well, if he if he continues walking forward that way, he's going to knock Utopia's head off and cut off her knees, basically. Yeah, exactly. Cut, cut, cut the knees uh, firmly off. So anyway, then it's clearly implied that uh, they have done the deed, as it were. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is looking a little shocked, honestly, and saying it was unexpected and tugs on Utopia's hair, at which point, shock horror, the blonde wig falls off. Bernie Sanders appears and gives yeah. gives us his pronouns of he, him, and his, and says no pre- no pet names. My pronoun, and then Ken says bah or something yeah. along those lines. Uh, look, I I've stared at this comic for so many hours and cannot comprehend what the fuck the point is. No, there's literally no point other than like, I guess. Transphobia. The like, idea is tricking you into what you think is something, but then it's just Bernie Sanders. Yeah. But I in guess. reality, it, we know it's Bernie Sanders. We look at him on TV. It's Bernie Sanders. Yeah. We know. We know who it is. <laughs> we all know what Bernie us. Sanders looks like. Yes. Um, Anyways, Benedict, why don't we get into this uh, second half of the chapter? If you don't remember, uh, in the first half of this chapter, we learned why, even though Scandinavia is not a socialism, we can't have a Scandinavia for reasons, mm. of course, as we talked about. Of course. And now, Benedict, we're going to learn why we can't have a, a Scandinavia. Still, Again, it's the same thing. Why, 60 why, but this chapter. time... Why, why we can't have healthcare. This or time or it's why, why, why Scandinavia can't even have Scandinavia or whatever. Yeah, something why like. Scandinavia can't have a Scandinavia. That's the point of the second half of this yeah, chapter. Yeah, exactly. So we start off this time with a tweet from Rashida Resistance. Resistance, says, you mean? Oh, yes, yes. I did not notice that typo there. Good catch on that one. Thank you. Uh, but it says, okay, but what about single-payer healthcare? That's clearly a socialist idea adopted by Scandinavians. And wherever it has been tried, people are much better off. Well, we know, of course, because Glenn's told us yeah. that can't possibly be true. It's a lie. It's, it's a lie. It's, of course it's a lie. And he tells us, quote, Single-payer healthcare models are appealing to many because they offer health coverage to everyone, making them far less complex than the current system. Patients don't need to worry about navigating the health insurance system. Doctors don't need to worry about hiring staff to comply with the impossible-to-understand insurance arrangements, although they do have to worry about plenty of additional government regulations. And people are covered regardless of whether they work. So there's no pre-existing conditions problem that must be dealt with. Yes. Okay, so we're done. We don't need to move on. That's it. The end. And, and he's previously done his like every man agreement thing of, look, listen, I agree that it's way too bureaucratic and, and there's there's too much red tape in the American healthcare system and a free market would figure it out better. And it's only because the government has gotten involved at all that, that you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. And of course, never giving a good example of how removing all government from healthcare would make it better. Mm. All these better. Just 
vague references to it being somehow better, but he's going to start off now running through the rest of this chapter with examples of exactly why we can't have a health care. So he starts off with the first one, government waste. And there's a brain dump next to it, which just says, breaking news, mm. Postal Service report $3.9 billion in losses for fiscal year 2018. Okay. Do I have to do this again? I have to do this again. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. The re- okay, two things. First of all, the post- U.S. Postal Service is a goddamn miracle. For, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not as bad as everyone said. Everyone loves to complain about the post office. The post office is actually great. Literally delivered us an incredible election despite all efforts to sabotage it vote historic levels of vote by mail second of all um it's providing a service so the Mm -hmm. object of that service isn't to make a profit it is to provide a service that people otherwise couldn't get so people couldn't get their mail who live out in the middle of nowhere without the postal service because places like ups fedex and others literally refuse to deliver there because it cuts into their profits the people who buy Glenn Beck books wouldn't be able to get their mail because wouldn't they wouldn't be able to get the book where? delivered without yeah. the U.S. Postal Service. And then third of all, the reason that the U.S. Postal Service keeps making a loss is because Republicans passed a bill in the early noughties forcing them to pay pensions, pre-fund er- wait, pensions. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I, I know where you're going with this, but I have to interrupt and say... The early noughties? Yeah, noughties. Is that the term yeah, we're yeah, going with yeah. now? And it's better. I love it. It's better because I have a non-rotic <laughs> R, so it sounds just like I'm saying naughty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so yes, the, the early the early 2000s, let's say, uh, requiring the, the Postal Service to fund pensions through like 2050, which is a good thing, but then you can't complain about them making losses and be like, see, so much government waste. No. Stop yeah, it. So the, the few examples he throws out first here in this section of the chapter, he lists Amtrak, the Postal Service, and numerous government agencies. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so I like that last one for one thing. I love the specificity, Glenn. But let's start with the Postal Service, like you said, right? Sure. Obviously, it's an improper comparison to try and equate the Postal Service with FedEx or UPS or whatever the case might be. Because the Postal Service, like you said, is a service provider. It provides mail by mandate to every single person who lives in the country. In the regardless. Constitution, right? I don't think it's in the Constitution. Uh, it's, in, it's in one no. of, it's in something. It's in the, the It's in some of the founding documents. It's in the laws that establish the Postal Service, yes. So it's their job to provide that. FedEx, UPS, they don't have to. And in fact, they pretty regularly reduce services where they're not making money. So... We, it's just an improper comparison. The next one, Amtrak. Another thing I know you love. Another trains. Thing that, <laughs> I love trains. You Amtrak, just like Joe Biden in I that just, way. Amtrak doesn't. Amtrak makes a profit. It's just that the Northeast Corridor subsidizes the rest of the of the right. um, the rail network, which again isn't a bad thing. Like if you're super expensive part of the rail network that everyone uses can make it easier for people that otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to travel to travel that's a good thing it shouldn't be about making mega profits also if we actually pass laws that may that subsidize train stuff or like 
disincentivize people to fly between fucking Houston and San Antonio, which is like a 30 minute flight or like a two hour train or something, then maybe the Amtrak would actually make a profit because more people would use it and not go, ew, trains, I'm going to drive my outrageously large car and hit seven pedestrians on the way to my destination that's 30 minutes away. So, yeah, yes. Well- what you're talking about, Amtrak is required by law to operate national routes. Mm-hmm. So they have to go to all the places, even where there's less traffic than they get out here in the Northeast Corridor, where we, you have the Acela Express and the trains that are making all the money for the Amtrak system. They have run at a deficit for several years. And that's just a regular, especially right now during COVID, they're having far less passengers. But again, it's a service provider. Mm-hmm. It helps get people from point A to point B. And compared to other forms of transportation, it has significant benefits. It has a higher reliability rate than most domestic airlines at about 83% reliability versus 81 for airlines. It's about equivalent, but I'll give it that, that one also, percentage point. Also, for anything it, less than a four-hour journey, it's much, much more pleasant than flying, oh, in my opinion. Absolutely. A seat you can actually sit in? Yes. I'll yeah, take Amtrak Wi-Fi all that way. mostly works that you don't have to pay for. <laughs> There's, like, actual food that you can buy. Mm-hmm. It, it's yep. great. It's not airplane. I hate airplane food with a passion. <laughs> and just, it, it's, it's so much nicer. And, like, you can walk around and stretch your legs without feeling like, you know, it's just so much better for anything i've never been on an amtrak for more than i've done new york to boston on the slow version of the train which was about Mm -hmm. i think about four and a bit hours and that that started to drag a bit but there was a work trip so yeah you know and compared to it's about half the energy consumption of an airline flight uh it's uh and it's got far less of a death rate than automobiles way less almost zero Again, trains are a goddamn miracle. That's but he right. says, in a line that I knew would make your he- your head blow off, I mean, seriously, is anyone still willing to make an argument in favor of the Postal Service? It lost $3.9 billion no. in fiscal year 2018. Yeah, uh, yeah that Again, got me. we've talked about that. We've talked about that. It's not a loss. It's just the price we paid for that service. But the next thing he brings up is Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Because he points out it's a government-run healthcare program. We're talking about socialized medicine, which is government-run healthcare. And he's going to point out now, for about the rest of the chapter, how terrible and inefficient government-run healthcare is. And he says, first off, that the improper payment rate is very likely higher than the official 10% estimate. And in 2015, the Government Accountability Office reported improper payments totaled at least $137 billion. Do you imagine how many trillions of dollars would be wasted if the same federal government that wastes more than $100 billion a year were to be put in charge of the entire healthcare system? Do you know what would happen if the government were put in charge of the healthcare system? They would be like, no, we're not fucking paying $3,000 <laughs> for that one pill. That's ridiculous. Get out of here. Your drug is banned from the U.S. Like, Well, Benedict, would it surprise you at all to learn that the number he's citing is highly deceptive? <laughs> no. Would it surprise you all to know that I had the actual uh, report pulled no, up in front wouldn't. of me? And I know I can tell how you, hard you research this stuff. Yes. I can tell you that part of the reason behind that number, and actually he's citing a mostly incorrect number there, but the improper payments number is mostly made up of payments for which they don't have all the documentation. It's not as though all of those payments were wrong, that they were fraud or anything like that. They're simply ones for which... They can't verify because not all the 
uh, proper information is available. Mm -hmm. And looking at the report which they released for 2015, they released the drivers for those improper payments and say what are the main reasons why uh, all these improper payments are on the books for this year. And among them are the, the top ones they have listed. Delayed state implementation of the Affordable Care Act requirements for provider enrollment and risk-based screening. Mm. Number two, delayed state implementation of Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996 transaction standards. That's an act from 1996. 1996, <laughs> they're citing in 2015. And what they get in under the sections where they discuss that is that payments are cited as improper when the claims processing system doesn't include uh, referring or ordering providers or where the providers are not enrolled in Medicaid as participating providers or where they haven't gone through the screening process yet. Maybe they're in pr the process of doing it, but they haven't completed it yet. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why all this stuff. And do you, do you know what solves all of that? Medicaid uh, being the only option. Yeah. That yeah, literally yeah, solves it. Yep. You know what else would solve a big chunk of it? Is throwing Rick fucking Scott in prison and his <laughs> 300 million worth of Medicare fraud. <laughs> That'd do a whole lot, I think. But the next thing he cites, and I love, fucking love this, the next thing he cites as one of his examples of all this government waste is a uh, the government spending 518000 it was a grant, uh, to study how cocaine affects the sexual behavior of Japanese quails. Okay, I didn't look this up, but I presume there's more to it than that. Like, I presume Absolutely they're doing that for a reason. Absolutely there's more to it. Absolutely there's more to it. So, and I found a great Scientific American article about this very uh, study that was asked, you know, looked and said, okay, well, why are we, you know, Republicans love to cite these sort of weird sounding things uh, and how we spend money on them, right? And cocaine is a pretty common one because we're stu we still study the effects of cocaine quite a bit. We study them on different animals because different animals have different similarities and differences to humans, mm -hmm. right? So the reason why you would go to the Japanese quail, according to this Scientific American article, is because of the way its brain is made up and uh, a particular similarity we're looking for and that we're seeking to find the mechanism that causes this specific behavior. We know that it happens, and Republicans would have us think, well, just knowing that oh, cocaine consumption is correlated with heightened sexual desires is enough. Well, no, we wanna know why these things happen because basic science is important, and we can't ethically do these tests on humans, no. so we go to animals. Tell that to the CIA, Kevin. <laughs> well, <laughs> I said ethically, man. I did say true. ethically. That's true. That's no one here is claiming the CIA has engaged in entirely ethical behaviors over the years. But he then goes to next. He says, for instance, the federal government spends an estimated $1.7 billion per year servicing empty government-owned buildings. And this is one of those areas where it's one of those things like, yeah, man, we could probably agree that you could pass a law to streamline the process for dealing with those buildings and determining yeah, but also, whether like, what do you what do you want to do just like let them fall into disrepair like yeah you like one day we might use right. them so you and, should probably course, keep them up while we don't know what we're doing with them like of course glenn beck's answer is privatize sell them all to private hands that's yeah, what we should do th like nobody talks about business waste it's all the citizens against government right. like you think about the amount that like literally like are like rounding errors on a balance sheet at businesses and you're like oh well whatever it's fine Yes, and you started to mention there the next thing he talks about on his list, which is this group, Citizens Against Government Waste. It's, it's of course, a right-wing impact group, uh, which has more than 600 recommendations to reduce government waste in its prime cuts report. 
because they use a bunch of pig metaphors, so they went with prime cuts. Mm, um, yeah. Some of these things, again, it's some of the things that all of us would agree on, right? The, uh, the terribly failed uh, fighter jet program that was just in the news a whole lot because it was a giant fucking waste of money. Uh, but other things are things that would be pretty fucking stupid and mm. things that we definitely disagree with. Like, of course, ending the National Endowment for the Arts, which yep. has always been a right-wing uh, hammer, to. trying to trying to get rid of the National Endowment for the Arts. Another one, for example, end the Essential Air Service, which is something that, again, would d badly affect Glenn Beck's listeners and, and readers and viewers and whatever the case might be. It's a service that provides and helps fund airports, mm. small airports in locations that don't have uh, any nearby airports that can get them from place to place. It's a subsidy program. Uh, and of course, the, the point being that they're just saying, well, if it's not turning a profit, fuck it. It's the general feeling I get from reading this prime cuts report. Yeah. It's just cut everything that isn't everything that we don't think is valuable. If it's helping groups we don't care about, just fuck it. Get just cut them all. Yep. Cut them. We don't really care about it. That's the general idea that I find from it. Mm -hmm. But it gets to the next, I guess, I think it's a subsection. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. It, it just says, ex in big letters, expensive, like dot, 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 really expensive. Mm -hmm. And then jumps right into the obvious, uh, you know, the old stilted numbers about Bernie Sanders' health care plan uh, and all the conservative gripes about spending and costs and accounting that they don't understand. Yeah, boring. Yeah. The, you, the same stuff that is I'll go would cost 32 trillion without talking about what it would cost not to do that and like the actual I think it was actually didn't it save three trillion in the end versus like I, I, I think if like you completely got rid of private health insurance the Sanders plan saved three trillion in the yeah, end yeah and I don't think the Sanders plan is perfect no. but you know I, I think that the most of the gripes here are based on people having a lack of the full information about it I think that's what it, 32 trillion sounds like a lot I and for mean, most people sure. who are used to the media, you know, talking about the debt in these big numbers that sound scary and Fox News harping on, ah, we owe this much to China, that sort of thing about these big government costs, that sounds really scary to them. And they mm. don't know how all this stuff actually works out in the long run. But he also gets into talking about Medicare reimbursement rates, talking about how it would bankrupt most of Americans' hospitals if they had to have Medicare and reimbursement rates all across the country. Which leaves out, of course, the fact that most insurance companies already use Medicare reimbursement rates as benchmarks for what they set their own rates at. Yeah. And they do. It is true. Private insurance companies pay more than Medicare uh, Yeah, but that's bad. Rates. That is a well, bad thing. I, I would say, so the general mark, and I wasn't able to find any really good uh, uh, research on this, because most of what I was finding was from, like, the American Hospital Association, mm -hmm. which, of course, is lobbying on behalf of hospitals, and I'm going to take it with a grain of salt, and they're, like, they're putting out that 87 cents on the dollar uh, uh, number. And they say that it's for every dollar spent on the client, on the, the uh, hospital per, per Patient? Patient. Mm -hmm. Patient is the word I'm looking for here. <laughs> for every dollar spent, uh, Medicare reimburses 87 cents of that. Um, I think there probably needs to be more studies. Figure that out. I don't but know. But also, like, sure th this comes down to, to drug prices again and drug prices just being uh, outrageous yes. and, and the costs of things just prices. being outrageous. And if... Me if there's a government... If there's government regulation around the cost of things, then that stops being an issue. Also, yeah, just the, the fact that they can... Another huge thing is the amount of bureaucracy required to, 
you know, in terms of money spent on a patient, how much of that is actual healthcare costs versus the bureaucratic support system to like build the insurance and make yeah. sure everything's hung, all that stuff. So I bet that is at least 13 cents on the dollar. Like 13, can, yeah. 13 of those cents are at least, I would guess probably closer to 20 or 30 cents of what's spent on a patient is, is in these systems that are so entangled. And so he's he's citing from sources, again, that I generally don't trust. He's citing, like, a Daily Caller article. He's citing uh, this the Tax Foundation. He's citing all these different groups uh, that I didn't take the time to look into because generally I'm just like, eh, they're probably Whatever. lying. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's, he goes into saying, like, if you took all the money from all the richest so people in America, boring. you wouldn't have enough to pay for all this. Well, all all has, of which to say, like, your taxes are going to be raised. And once again... Maybe. Yes, maybe. maybe. I would say probably, I would say if, yes. If we do Medicare for all, I would say most likely, yes, your taxes are going to be raised. Yeah, but, but the net amount you pay on healthcare. not going to have to pay exactly. for healthcare. We, we just need to start talking about healthcare as a tax or health insurance as a tax because it is. There's yeah. no, I, I mean, there's no way that you can't pay it, essentially. It's it's essentially an ad, ad hoc tax. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, so facto, I, lorem ipsum, etc. Other fancy Latin words. Yep. Exactly. Agree. So we get to the next subsection, which is just titled rationing. Ugh. And this is the big boogeyman that I recall the right wing always talking about. This is their the rationing, death panels, all that crap. Yes. Right? He doesn't get to death. He, he never says yeah, death panels. Never, yeah, I know. But, there's there's, a, but there's a little implication of death panels. He doesn't yeah. say death panels, but he means death he, panels. He refers to what we assume to in kind of a disgusting way, talking about that Archie kid. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That that was a pretty gross example. But before we get to that, of course, he's talking about wait times in Canada. Mm. That's the the big first page or two of this section. And uh, the wait, you know, he's taking that gynecological treatments take on average more than 20 weeks. That's just a bullshit number. Uh, The average is actually much less. And all the things that he's citing that do have long wait times, like orthopedic surgery, uh, the reason there are there's specialists. Specialists have longer wait times in Canada. That's true. Have you tried to schedule surgery in the UK, in the US? Like, it's really difficult to get to see your primary (laughs) care provider even like it's not it's not like it's a short wait time in the US. No, it's it's no treat to be sure, and I think there is some uh, some bit of the argument that has a grain of truth in that uh, providing healthcare to all people will create you know a, more of a backlog of people yeah. trying to get care. Obviously, yeah, and, and, and it's non essential care. Non essential care can fall by the wayside. Well, I think there will also will be essential care that because there you know if more people have access. Uh, then they're going to be going for for the care they actually need. Yeah, I but think then you have a healthier be... population, right? There's, right. I mean, but what I'm what I what I'm getting to is there's there's two things. One, if you provide more people with just general care and preventative care, you reduce the amount of specialists they need to see, and the amount of emergency care, those sorts of things. And two, I would say we need to at the same time that we go into a process like this greatly increase our investment in the amount of doctors and nurses mm-hmm. and the availability of these services that we have, and that is included in those plans. Yep. His, of course, at some point in here, I don't remember where it is exactly, he actually says something like, oh, we need to just make it easier to be a doctor. Yeah. It's <laughs> basically sure. what he says, like, Glenn, Glenn, do you think you could be a doctor? I mean, oh, I should note, on the very next my, page. This is my favorite bit of the chapter. The my greatest brain dump of all time. He says... 
at, because he made a remark earlier saying, I'm not a doctor. That might be shocking. And the brain dump just says, editor's fact check. Glenn is actually a doctor. He received an honorary doctorate in humanities from Liberty University and is now working on opening his own ear, nose, and throat clinic in Idaho. Which is that supposed is to be ironic. It's supposed to be like, a, oh, you can't be a doctor in humanities. But you know he's proud of that shit. He put it in his book, yeah. so yeah. I don't believe that an editor wrote that. I believe Glenn wrote that. I don't believe an I don't, editor has read this book, Kevin. <laughs> yes, yes, given the number of typos we found in this chapter alone, yes, I, I believe that 100%. But no, and hey, you should never, even if you are the rightest of right-wing hack, you should be embarrassed by getting an honorary degree from Liberty fucking University. You yep. should absolutely be embarrassed by that. You should hide it, put it in a closet, and never tell anyone you received it. That's what you should do with that situation. Burn it, honestly. Yes. But next, we jump over into England. My and this neck is where, of the woods. This is where Benedict gets to pull the last little bit of remaining hair he has <laughs> out of his head. And he's talking about, of course, it's just... It's Terrible. It's become a horrible problem. Uh, you know, as early as 2018. When did that? What was going on around then? Stuff. Was there anything important happening in the UK in 2018, Benedict? That uh, might... I mean, all of Brexit fallout. That was a that was a pretty big uh, pretty big deal. No slashing of the NHS budgets going yeah, on around that, that, that time. Was, that was a big one too. That was a big one yep. too. Some stuff Yep, 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 yep. So essentially what he says is like, and literally I have never heard of this. And he cites a Telegraph article, which, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, but he, he says, he says uh, the, is this the bit where he talks about the, the primary care providers meeting people yep. in 10 yep. to 15? That just sounds like a support group to me. Like it, so it sounds like we're scaremongering over like, a, oh, hey, we all have the same disease. Why don't we get together and like emotionally support each other and have the doctor guide the conversation? Like they're not making everybody with a mole on their back see the same doctor at the same time for the first Which is time. Which is the actual example he, he uses as a little joke. There, it's a right? hypothetical. His little yeah, throwaway it's not an joke. Example. Yeah, yeah, it's his, a hypothetical. His, yeah, his throwaway hypothetical. But like it, you, you can still see your... GP privately, I promise. Like it's. Yeah. <laughs> you, we were just talking before we started recording. Your wife was like, "I've been to the NHS. It's, it's great. Fine. Yeah, it's and great." And she's an American. Yeah. she has experience with the Amer more so than you with the American I healthcare hate the Amer system. I will fight the American healthcare system. For all. I think my my favorite thing ever about the NHS. I I one time I sent you a screenshot of a comic I was reading. Uh, which was like, it, I think it was like part of the Civil War timeline where it was like people fighting over in the UK. It was like Captain Britain. And one of the, the, the people that was fighting with him was an NHS nurse <laughs> or an NIH nurse or whatever. And uh, uh, it's like somebody was bleeding on the ground or whatever. And she, the dude's like, help me, help me. And she's like, not to worry. You're with the NHS now, mate. And I'm like, this is the most British thing <laughs> I've ever good. seen. Yeah, my, my favorite comic. It wasn't a full comic, but a comic strip of like British Breaking Bad. And it was like, I'm afraid you have cancer, Mr. White. We'll schedule you for your free chemotherapy <laughs> starting next week. The end. Like, <laughs> Yeah, man. Seriously, no fucking joke. It, it really is. It's outrageous. And I got to say, he keeps he's not really uh, actively comparing all these things to the American healthcare system, because if he were to do so, it'd be damning of his view when mm -hmm. he points out how terrible people are treated in the American healthcare system and how many people just don't have access to care. But like, 
all the advantages that he brings up, right, when he talks about wait times or he talks about whatever the case might be, they only exist for the people with the ability to pay for them. Yeah. But he has no problem with that because in his fucked up, uh, distorted meritocracy idea, money equals virtue. That's the thing. Is This whole chapter is like why the American healthcare system is better for people like me, which is yeah. probably true. It's probably true. Mm-hmm. But for the other... Let's say it's even 50% of the population. You know, I think it's probably more than that. But that have shitty health insurance or no health insurance or no, no relationship with their, their primary care provider and are just bounced around the system or, like, only can go to urgent care or whatever it might be or then, like, get billed thousands of dollars unexpectedly because their insurance doesn't cover something even though they said it did. Like, that's where the NHS picks up the slack. And that's what socialized healthcare is for. It's for picking up the slack. Yeah, I get it, man. And the next example he goes to, to try and scare us again away from this socialized healthcare, is the Veterans Health Administration, Mm -hmm. the VHA. uh, Or the the VA, as it's known. Um, And he cites a 2019 USA Today report, uh, the... You may have been to a hotel at one time in your life and stumbled across a copy uh, where they said that 70% of VA hospitals, the median time between arrival in the emergency room and admission was longer than at other hospitals. Right. Do you think I found the actual number that they're citing? I I, I do, Kevin, I do. Would you be surprised to know it's not that high above what uh, most other hospitals are? It would not surprise me. On average, about an hour or two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And that's not to say that... we should Go stop ahead. sending people to war so that they come back with yeah, fucking PTSD and good. horrific injuries that yeah, then socialized healthcare <laughs> has. And also, like, again, the troops in America are seen as heroes. Mm-hmm. And for those heroes, what do we give them? Socialized healthcare. Yep. Right? We don't give them the best health insurance. We give them, we will look after you no matter what happens. And I, you know, I did some digging because I didn't want to rely just upon these, you know, third-party sources like USA Today and stuff. And I went over to uh, a Reddit section called Our Veterans. Mm. And I was looking around on there, and I found a bunch of threads about the VA. And, like, some of them are, like, you know, asking, for how do I get this? How, who do I call to do this? Blah, blah, blah. And I found a couple that were like, is the VA really as bad as everyone keeps saying? Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, I found one that was just like, Dozens of comments of people just being like, eh, it depends on what hospital you go to. Yeah. Some Which good, is true of health insurance. Yeah. It's just like, no, but it seems to me, and again, this is a small sample size, right? This is people who are on Reddit in mm-hmm. that forum. It's like, you know, it seems like it's not uh, what, what, and I think part of it is there's a heavily political, um, there's an amount of political capital mm-hmm. in always giving more money to the VA. Yep. Right. And just, just throwing money at it. Uh, and a lot of the complaints I found about it are more about, like, well, it's shitty dealing with the fucking bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And the solution has always been, right, throw more money at it. And I don't think throwing more money at it is the, no, it's the make solution the bureaucracy to the problem. Less. Right. It's actually look for the problems and fix them. Yeah. But Republicans, you know, because, again, for most things, we need 60 fucking votes. We aren't able to do any sort of real shit. Yeah, exactly. We're just able to fucking throw money at it when we can because you can do that with 50 votes. Yeah. So anyway. But the, the, the other thing I would just say is just to put a fine point on what you said is that with any national system in a country as big as America, there is going to be regional variants. There just is. 
And that's the sort of things that we can deal with. Yeah. It's not this massive, mind-breaking, destroying issue that Glenn makes it out to be. It's just like, oh, we can figure out ways to overcome that. Not that big a fucking deal. But so the next tweet we get, separating up the next section of the chapter, is from Professor Tweed. And it says, well, maybe it's true that many other single-payer healthcare systems are flawed, but Scandinavians have proven that government can effectively provide high-quality healthcare to everyone. Glenn tells us right away, actually, they haven't. And he gives us, and this is a trend that has continued, and I'm glad to see it's continued, uh, citing a single politician who Mm. says so and acting like that's the end of the argument. Also a non-Scandinavian politician, because Finland is not in Scandinavia. Yeah, you keep arguing that. It's uh, not. Look, man, I told you when we started this chapter that colloquially people say it is. Colloquially people are I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, but this is, and I, I, I do risk pissing off um, one of my favorite patrons who I know is Finnish uh, by trying to pronounce this and I, knowing I'll fuck it up. Juha Sipila is how I'm going to say it. I would guess, uh, I would guess Juha Sipila, but yeah, I don't. maybe. I don't. Juha tell Sipila. Us, tell, tell us who's closer. Now I, <laughs> tell Kevin on Twitter who's as closer. Okay. So... Uh, but anyway, this is about Finland, uh, and uh, there was a bunch of... Uh, attempted um cuts to the healthcare system Ooh, that weird to... uh, there was also weird uh dancing around demographic change <laughs> that we that we got yeah it's like glenn yeah. making a, an accidentally pro-immigration argument but not actually yes, saying yeah. it yeah well of course it's well but no he, he wants demographic change but not demographic change yeah that's... you know what i mean Benedict? he wants you know demographics I mean to skew younger but buy more uh, babies not, not buy more, more. Yeah, exactly. exactly the smurf smurfs uh, but, but look i looked into this guy this uh former prime minister he had a number of scandals throughout his career i'm not sure whether he actually resigned because as he claimed he was frustrated and not being able to make these cuts and reforms as he calls them whenever right-wingers say reforms they just mean cutting spending that's really what they mean uh but uh that's what he claimed he claimed it was just frustration from that uh and i I, but that's that's of course for glenn you know he cited one person who agrees with him why do we need to argue about it anymore Mm -hmm. so he goes to the next tweet of the chapter from rashida resistance again and this time he did spell it correct and it says if what you're saying is true why do scandinavians live so much longer than the average american which is the type of dumb comeback it's that glenn would set up for himself to knock down yeah Right, which no one would really fucking think, right? Why are they healthier would be the better question. Which is also true, by the way. Yeah, which is also true. But he does point out two very true things Mm -hmm. on these next two pages, which is that A, Americans are much more overweight than most of the rest of the world, including most of Scandinavia. And we love cars way too fucking much, which kill us because they're murder machines. Before we get onto that, though, I just want you to, because he talks about Scandinavia, and then he's like, Oh, well, there are a lot of other countries with higher life expectancies in the U.S., which I don't think is the own that he thinks it is. And then he's like, uh-huh. the likes of Chile, Greece, Slovenia, all have... <laughs> like, those are all delightful countries. I don't know if you've ever been to any of those countries, but I've been to all... Oh, I haven't been to Chile, but I've been to the others. Slovenia is delight. It's a delightful little country. It does seem like he was trying to set up, like, you know, what he would call shithole, uh, shithole nations, right? Yeah. But he just couldn't pick them? Yeah, he just couldn't Gre- pick Greece any? and Slovenia are both lovely right china i've been there it's pretty nice as well i know there's a lot of bad stuff there too but no it's a pretty nice chile not china right 
Oh, was it Chile? I thought it was China. No, no. Uh, it's Chile. Style. You're right. Chile. Chile. I, haven't, I have not been to Chile. I did enjoy a nice bowl of it once, though. <laughs> but anyways, he is correct that we are fatter than most other countries. I love this disease. illustration of Denmark looking <laughs> yes. like a Chad and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the United States. Looking like the virgin, a, virgin fatter. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it's just like, what the fuck? And the hat says Flint on it, so I think it's it was Michael supposed to be Michael Moore. Moore. Yeah. yeah. God, he hates Michael Moore he so does. fucking there's much. Also, there, there's a little brain dump about Michael I Moore. Should, well. Yeah, I should be counting how many Michael Moore references he makes throughout this book. Because it has been basically at least one a chapter, I think. Yeah. He really... And look, I'm no, I, don't, I don't love Michael Moore. No. I have a love-hate relationship with Michael Moore, much like I do with Vice News. Yeah. Because I love well-made documentaries, but I hate... Him. Michael Moore is a yeah. person. <laughs> Take the best and leave the rest, Kevin. That's all you can do. Exactly. Take the best and leave the rest. The so my my favorite get... bit of this is when he's like, you know, they should really try and make Americans eat better if they want to solve the this life. Yes, yes, yeah, we should. We tried to do that with the school meal shit, and you fucking freaked out <laughs> about government overreach. So as he does in this very chapter about that shit. Yeah. So we get the next tweet. Which is Rashida Resistance again. Oh, Amtrak and, would also solve the car thing, by the way. Yep, yep, very much, very much could at least help with the cars. As well, but, you know, in, include Amtrak and better public transportation in most localities. Rashida Resistance next says, Well, even if you're right, it's also true that the United States spends much more on healthcare than any other country in the world. A socialized healthcare system could keep costs under control. And he starts by playing the faux both sides thing. Well, oh, he just goes right. chapter one, chapter one, chapter one, and then doesn't really yes. answer the question. Yes, that's all he says. But he does go to the old, you know, doctors come here. From all over the world. The best doctors are here. Yeah, because, because all the fucking money. money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, look, I'm, I am not saying... I love doctors. I think doctors are great people. I'm not saying doctors should be poor. No. I don't think anybody's saying that, buddy. I'm just saying maybe they get to have one nice car instead of two. Maybe they have one Ferrari instead of two. You know, maybe that's maybe the ear, nose, and throat guy doesn't have yeah. a $2 million well, whatever. McMansion. I mean, they can have a McMansion. I don't care. We just shouldn't make up numbers for how much procedures cost. They should be yeah. based in reality and how much procedures actually cost. I'm sorry. It does not cost three and a half thousand dollars to stick a tube down someone's nose for a minute and a half yeah but he says you know there there aren't a bunch of doctors flocking to get into finland to be a part I of their know that. do you system. know that i'm pretty sure glenn doesn't know that to be <laughs> for one thing i don't know that but i'm certain glenn doesn't know whether or not that's true uh but he follows that up with a neil dicaprio cortez comeback where it says if that's true then why do i keep hearing about america's growing doctor shortage and then Glenn says in response, because there is a doctor shortage, but that's not because there aren't enough people wanting to become licensed U.S. physicians. It's because the current system has numerous bureaucratic controls that significantly so limit the, the number of doctors licensed every year. Without those requirements, many of which are unnecessary, we'd have more than enough physicians. You know what bureaucracy leads to, Kevin? What? Communism. Communism! <laughs> I'm pretty sure by that he just means the tests are too hard. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's just what the fuck he means. I don't know. Also, I don't know. Th this next comeback tweet, can you read it? And I yes, think there's a typo. Yes, I was going to. Yeah, okay. I think there's uh, a typo. I, yeah, there is, and I have no idea what he means because of that typo. Neil DiCaprio Cortez responds Without government provided health care, people truly be free. <laughs> is he doing like a knockoff impression of like. African-American vernacular. People truly be free. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
So maybe government-managed healthcare isn't perfect, but at least people have the freedom to live their lives without fear of getting sick while living without access to healthcare services they need. And Glenn says, no, of course. Of course I want everyone to have healthcare. But, you know, debt? Yeah, so uh, what's the solution, dude? Come on. Well, he's going to give us a, a little bit of a solution that is not really a solution by the end of this. But before oh, he we does, get yeah. to that. He, it, for the first time in this whole book, we get a, <laughs> a, a, a check stamp real yeah. solution. Literally, yeah. like he, he he's so proud of himself for providing an original thought that he's well, like... Well, it's not even that original, as no, I will I tell know, you when I we know, get to I, it. I, I know. But he tells us now we're going to learn about the tyranny oh, this is of all quite socialized health care Well, the first one he brings up is the tyranny of the little sisters of the poor uh, case, which was just you have to have insurance that pays for birth control. Yeah, such such tyranny. Also, so bad, he he so really horrible. ties himself in knots of like it's not the the. Um, the corporation or whatever non-profit whatever isn't free if it's forced to do this but then like a person isn't free if they're they're forced to pay for health insurance that other people could get for free like his his concept of freedom is completely ties itself at knots not just here but later on in the chapter more obviously as well I think we both agree he has a pretty fucked up idea of what freedom is. Mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> I don't think we have any disagreements on that front but he describes this so outrageously, right? I think my favorite uh, paragraph of this whole thing was, there are endless examples of how government has used its power to silence individuals or take away their rights, especially on the issue of healthcare. But let's turn to one. Both of us are old enough to remember. Although I'm willing to bet only one of us will. Barack Obama's war on the religious rights <laughs> of Catholic nuns. Sure. The only thing surprising there to me is that he didn't include the Hussein as his middle name. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Only thing I'm surprised by there. But next we get to the gross, sad part of yeah, this chapter. Yeah, it's really sad. Where he's relying upon this terrible... And this was not the only one of these stories, right? There were two of these there stories. Is. You mentioned a little bit earlier. This is the story of Alfie Evans. Mm-hmm. And this was a big story around 2017, 2018 that was being hyped up a lot by right-wing media. Like wall-to-wall coverage on Fox News type coverage of this story. Because this kid, uh, is very sad, right? This kid had a deadly degenerative neurological condition. He was brain dead in a hospital. I think he was like two years old or something. Yeah. Um, And his parents wanted to keep him alive and try and get this radical treatment, which even the Italian doctors who said they'd try it said he'll probably die on the plane if we try and bring him over here. And it was this long, lengthy court battle in which the court finally said what's best for the child is to just uh, euthanize and remove the, the feeding tube and, and all that. Not, not, not even euthanize, but allow to die. Right, right exactly, the... exactly. It's, it's horribly sad. Yeah, and tragic. I'm, unlike Glenn, I'm not going to pretend I have the fucking answer for this situation. No, but what the answer is not is, is people demonstrating outside a hospice where other children are dying and right, just which was what was going on yeah. at that time people who were harassing the employees of that hospice yeah. sending them death threats it was a fucking nightmare and yeah. it was just the absolute worst and glenn spins this into one of the horrors of socialized i would healthcare. just like to point out that there are private options in the uk 
Like, well, there is and, a socialized and that's, that's system. That's not even the issue. That's no, no, not no. Even, and that's no. But he does say saying, that he does say that the UK has a fully socialized system, and that's just not true. Right, and what you, you you pointing that out gets to the point that this isn't even about socialized healthcare. This is simply about when are when does the child's best uh, when is what's best for the child override what's best uh, according to the parents? Mm-hmm. When do we say enough? This is something that comes up a lot in cases of child abuse, in cases of child neglect here in the states, abroad. Everywhere, whether they have socialized healthcare or not, this is a terrible issue that courts have to deal with all the time. And I don't think there are any fully comprehensible or satisfying no, answers it's to just the tragic. question. But it's fucking tragedy porn for the right wing. It's mm-hmm. exactly what it is. And there was another case, like I think Charlie Gard was the other one, yeah, which was yeah. a few years before this, where basically the same thing happened. And uh, he caps that off with a George Bernard Shaw quote on the bottom of the page. Just for a little bit of humor. Yeah, just to put a funny exclamation point on that horrible story. Yep, how great was that? Mm. Fuck Glenn Beck, man. But he, you know, he says, it's it's all about power. It's all about, it's not really about health care. It's about power. He actually says, this is the quote, in single-payer health care systems, religious liberty and indeed many other kinds of personal freedom never survives. Mm. It can't survive. Its mere existence means those in power don't have absolute power. And even though they rarely admit it, obtaining power is nearly always one of the chief goals of government officials operating socialist programs. Yep. That is a John Birch uh, deep cut, yeah. if I've ever heard of that. That's one of those things that makes me go more and more. Glenn Beck is fully on the John Birch train, even if he won't say it out loud. Yeah. Because that whole, it's all about power thing, that's straight up right down the John Birch line. Yeah. It's about using socialism to give the insiders that power <laughs> that they're really searching for. Yeah, but then, I, yes, I, I fully agree with that. But then we get onto this issue of, of whether healthcare is a right, which I think is actually an interesting discussion to have. And I think Glenn falls on the wrong side of it because I think you and I both believe that healthcare is a right um, to, you know, in the sense that you have the liberty not to die like yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's it's part of your liberty is the the liberty not to die of a preventable disease right well i yeah i, I think it goes back to the difference in the way that you and i versus glenn think about freedom mm-hmm. to glenn his fucked up view of freedom incorporates this idea that it's all about contracts you have the freedom to contract with other individuals that's about it for mm-hmm. him, right? Other than that, guns and religion. Other than that, it's all about contracts. Yeah. And so to him, there has to be an exchange of some sort of money involved because the elements of a contract are an offer and acceptance and consideration. You yeah. can't have it without that consideration part. There is no charity in a contract. There is no giving in a contract. It's all about giving something in exchange for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... <laughs> We talk about rights here, and this is a response to a, a, a Green New Neil tweet that's kind of long, and I don't think we need to read all yeah, of it. But it's he his argument basically is that healthcare can't be a right because in order to for healthcare to be a right, you're essentially forcing doctors to work, right? And people mm-hmm. then don't have the right to not be doctors. But like, 
They yeah, do. Yeah, they do, though. Yeah. They do. And this, this is the same <laughs> dude who, like, a couple of chapters ago was like, well, if they don't like their job, they can just get a different job. Like, it's exactly. very easy to change your job. Like, okay. Remember, that- well, but those people, they, they got to contract for mm. their jobs. Yeah. And even though the minimum wage in the state was $7, and that's far below what an actual livable wage is, and no employees were offering a higher-paying job, so they really didn't have any choice in the matter. They were just taking what was available because they were fucked. They agreed to that wage. They yeah. agreed. Exactly. So, I mean, he, he ends up saying, and he, I think he thinks this is really smart, but it's literally meaningless. So he, he, he says the only way to make healthcare a right is to take away other people's rights. And any right that requires the destruction of others is really no right at all. Which sounds profound if you say it fast and don't think about it. But mm-hmm. like the right to bear arms is potentially taking away the right of someone to live their life not being shot in the face. Like you your rights are always taking away someone's rights. It's just where those rights end, right? That's, that's yeah. how, right. And, and you know, that's the whole much more interesting thinkers than Glenn have tackled this in a much more interesting way. And it's the whole, my right to free expression ends at your nose or whatever the actual right. quote is. Like, that's the thing. And it, you're not punching a doctor in the nose by being like, let's <laughs> please give me healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a whole area of positive rights versus negative rights, where right, most positive rights have a corollary, which is a negative right. The right to free expression may include the right to yell racial slurs, mm-hmm. but someone else may have the corollary negative right to live free from harassment mm-hmm. from your racial slurs. Exactly. Right? So it's, it is, it, there's a balancing there. Yeah, right? and literally, again, they have the right not to work as doctors unless it pays a wage, which they, yeah. but again, we under socialized medicine we would need to encourage enough people to want to be doctors and maybe you do that by paying a high wage maybe you do that by giving great benefits to doctors there are ways to encourage people to maybe it's free med school or whatever it is like subsidized med school but there are way there are enough people in this country that we can get enough doctors if we want there to be enough doctors and maybe it won't be all the the same doctors that are currently doctors but there are enough doctors there's a lot of bad doctors. I think That's most true. of the ones Trump ever had. Pretty That's bad true. doctors. But so we get to the next tweet, which is Professor Tweed. We're getting near the end here. If Are taking we away still some like of the pages away. A lot of it's away, If taking away some of the rights of healthcare providers is what it's going to take to ensure all people have access to free healthcare, then that's a right that's a price worth paying. And he makes a point here that I think sounds better to him than it actually is. And he says, you may think that the tides have turned in your direction and that most people will generally support your positions. Parenthetical. That seems a little delusional, by the way, since, you know, Donald freaking Trump was recently elected and Republicans have control at least one chamber of Congress in all but four years since 1995. Now, regardless of whether Donald Trump was freaking elected and regardless of whether Republicans have had control of any fucking chambers, they haven't won the fucking popular vote in my lifetime except for once. Yeah. The second Bush election. Yeah. So the majority of people are on our side and have been. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that's just how the stupid system works. But. Yeah. And the point he's making is just like, oh, it sounds good to do this. But well, it's going to be fine if people agree with you. But what if they don't? point is they do fucking agree with us man they do they disagree and always have disagreed with fucking you (laughs) yeah popular but he goes back to a little more fear-mongering about the nhs right death panels Uh, 
Death panels. He actually goes to the death panels here, right? Talking about how, uh, first he starts off with cataracts. Talks about how uh, a report from the Times said people are struggling because of a cost-cutting drive in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> Which left long wait times to get cataract surgery. I mean, it's just, it's fucking self-fulfilling prophecy if Boris Johnson gets in and cuts fucking NHS funding yeah. and then says, oh, we need more private because look at these wait times. Also, he's like, like, what if grandma's too old to get a hip replacement? Like, okay, dude, uh, grandma's probably on Medicare anyway. Like, this is already, <laughs> if you think this is a problem, it's already a problem for grandma. Yeah, but we get to the next tweet. Which is Professor... T- and he does do... He cites brain tumors, right? And that's that's the fear-mongering about death panels. What if the government decides that we should just... With those limited resources, we can't give an old person the brain tumor surgery. What do we do? That's death panels right there. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely death panels. But Professor Tweed's next tweet is, But socialists aren't talking about rationing care. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and others who support single-payer plans guarantee that everyone will have access to the care they need. They have never said they are going to ration people's care. And, of course, in response to that, he has, well, they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> and he brings up the uh, Barack Obama line, if you like your health care plan, you can keep it. Oh, my which God. Which I wouldn't necessarily call a lie so much as that he was wrong. Yeah. I think he thought that they could do a better job than he actually did. And it wouldn't be literally um, sabotaged by a whole bunch of people. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, it, it sucks that that happened. I, you know, I generally think that Barack Obama was trying to do the best he could uh, with, uh, again, Joe fucking Manchin yeah. uh, and all the others that he had to deal with. But then he goes to uh, one of the old, you know, this like when, remember, I was a right wing shitbag around the time of the ACA. I remember these arguments. Yep. And it breaks my brain when I see them in print still today as though they fucking matter, right? He brings up Jonathan Gruber, uh, who uh, gave a little speech where he, he, Glenn twists it to make it seem like he's calling people stupid, but really he was talking about how, well, you know, He's talking about messaging. A, he's talking about messaging. He's talking about messaging. That's exactly it. And I remember hearing the clip of that so many fucking times on right wing radio when I would listen to it. Over and over and over again I heard that said. Because that you know when somebody says something like that, it's it's red fucking meat. Yep. It's exactly what they're looking for. We get another tweet from Professor Tweed. Just because some politicians lied in the past about Obamacare and didn't make accurate predictions about its effects doesn't mean socialists and progressives promoting single-payer health care are lying now or that they will get it wrong this time around. Which he says, nah, nah, they will. They will. That's, that's that. Like, that's, sure. It's so true. When you're setting up these tweets for the response you want. You've got to have so, a better response than that. It's, yeah, you've got to have something better than that. And one of the examples he gives here is this plan in Massachusetts, mm. which was an attempt to cut prescription drug costs uh, by w- the way he describes it, uh, using a Washington Examiner article. Again, whenever someone says Washington Examiner, I have to go, wait, is that the cult one or the one that just writes for a cult? Uh, I don't ever remember. Um, it says that they were doing a closed formulary, which means the program may only offer one drug per class. A class being like antidepressants or anticonvulsants. That's not actually what Massachusetts was trying to do. And this happened under the Trump administration. Uh, Massachusetts was trying to renegotiate the cost of or deny coverage of uh, uh, new medications that didn't show any improvement over what was already available on the market, but that were radically more expensive. Mm. Basically, they were targeting the top 1% 
of most expensive drugs, which were these new drugs. This is how drug manufacturers do it. They slightly change the formula of a drug, A, so they can get the patent on it and keep that going for a number of years, and so they can put it out under a fancy new name, send all their drug reps out and sell it, sell it, sell it like crazy at this crazy high price, and Massachusetts was trying to say, fuck no. Of course, Trump administration denied them the ability to do that. Based on a compromise in 1990 with the prescription drug industry, which said that uh, Medicaid will cover all drugs passed by the Food and Drug Administration. Mm. In exchange, they'd get slightly reduced prices. So that's one of those areas that's just a, a giant fuck up. But next, Professor Tweed, again, and I promise, we're five pages from the end, people. Can we just go on to his solutions? I, like, none of this is interesting. All right, we'll go, we'll go on to the solutions. Uh, he just, again, it's more, ah, he it's not efficient. It's bland. His solutions, the two he provides. And he does First a one. green check mark, real solution, checkbox. Yep, yep, there's an actual uh, real solution. Checkbox next to it. Trademark. The first one he provides us is direct primary care agreements. Mm. Uh and this organization he cites along this list in one called Docs for the number Patient Care Foundation. That should be a red fucking flag to you. If you see an official organization with a number in their name. Well, but we, we should explain what this is, right? So he says direct primary care agreements allow primary care doctors to contract directly with their patients. Under a direct primary care agreement, patients pay a monthly fee, often less than $100, in exchange for a long list of primary care services like checkups, physical exams, and blood tests. To which the question is, what happens when it's worse than that? Yes, because if you're doing that, you still need insurance if you ever need to see a specialist. Yep. Or if you ever have a problem that isn't covered under those basic costs. By the way, I know there's thunder in the background you can <laughs> hear on my end. So I guess that's just going to be in until we're done yep, with this chapter. That's fine. But yes, this organization docks for patient care. Um, every, he portrays it, I think, as a uh, nonpartisan organization. They certainly portray themselves as a nonpartisan organization on their website. Uh, but if you look them up in, say, SourceWatch, which is a great website, you can go and check all these sorts of foundations and organizations, you find that they're actually part of the State Policy Network, which is a web of right-wing think tanks that attempt to seem as a non as individual nonpartisan organizations, but that are all actually linked to ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. All right. The right-wing legislation writers who put forward terrible legislation sure. across the country. So the, the, and, the, then the other one is, uh, is it, essentially he wants patients to unionize, it seems like. It this sounds is, like. like. He's just like, we should band together and negotiate collective deals. Like, ooh, where have I heard this idea before? Again, he's talking about associated health plans, sure. which were authorized under, I think, I think they were authorized under the Affordable Care Act and then expanded access once Republicans yeah, took back power because they love the idea. Once again, the problem with this is it's fine if you can band together with other healthy people. What happens to all the people with pre-existing pre conditions that nobody wants in their group because it drives the price up? So exactly. you start discriminating against people with pre-existing conditions and they're forced to band together or not band together and pay unaffordable premiums because they are already sick. And by the way, with COVID, most of us have been exposed to COVID in some way. Not most of us, but uh, millions of people have been exposed to COVID with potentially long-lasting effects. So all of us might, any of us might now have a pre-existing condition. 
Yeah, and so again, his solutions to the problem of providing healthcare to people it's who are Glenn vulnerable, vulnerable who, yes, Glenn Beck solutions to provide healthcare to people who are vulnerable, who don't have healthcare, or whatever the case might be, are solutions that are only fit for people who are in the best of health and have no financial problems and are able generally to just get insurance already right now. Yeah. That's what he's got. It's fucking, and he also, he goes back to his old charity thing, which I love. That's the end. I really yeah, read, love that. Read us out. Read us out. He actually said, quote, association health plans have tremendous potential for helping lower income people as well. Charitable organizations, churches, and other groups could form associations that provide health insurance at reduced rates or even for free to lower income families. People with more money in their pockets might, might Maybe. pay extra for these health insurance plans than they otherwise would, but they would do so voluntarily, knowing that they are helping another family at their church business or someone who is committed to a shared cause. That is not the final paragraph. That's just a load of bullshit. Again, why did none of that happen any time before now, Glenn? It could have always happened. Yeah. Exactly. But the final paragraph, which I will read, as I always do, is as follows, quote, Charity, not coercion and manipulation, can help America's uninsured population, but only if the American people are given the ability to do so. Current laws make all these ideas unworkable or even impossible. Again, it's clear government is often the biggest roadblock to improving people's lives, not some greedy corporation or middle-income families who don't want to pay more than half their income in taxes, like they do in Scandinavia. <laughs> End of chapter five. Again, I have to bring back because it was last. It was the first half. They don't, on average, pay more than half of their taxes, no. but half their income in taxes in Scandinavia. But Benedict, I like to do this when we get to the end of the show. I think this might be a thing I do from now on mm. uh, because I think it's a nice way to wrap up. I want to ask you, what was the main point of this chapter? I think you'll you'll find that I wanted to introduce this as a concept way back when, and then you were like, "I don't like doing this every week." I don't think <laughs> well, there's enough of a point the to idea, the chapters. We both were supposed to do it. Now yeah. I'm just asking you the uh, question. So you just don't want to. <laughs> so I, I think the the thesis, as it were, uh, is is that uh, socialist healthcare is broken around the world, and that you will die if uh, if socialist healthcare is implemented here in the U.S. But Americans are dying anyway because they're too fat and drive too many cars. So what's the difference, really, is my counter So why, So why try? So yeah, why exactly. try? Exactly. Right? Why, why even bother? Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. We went a little long tonight, but I think you all deserve it because the episode's coming out late. Uh, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Corey Bidding, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, puny god. Goodbye. Goodbye.
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.